0: Welcome to For Something Greater. I am Dominic Holly, your host, and I am so happy you are here today. This is a podcast where we dig deep into what it takes to pursue your dreams, create an impact, and be a world changer. We get real, honest, and vulnerable. We dig into the challenges, the roller coasters, the triumphs, and everything in between. So grab your coffee or your green drink, and let's dig into today's episode. Hello folks, I am so excited to be able to finally share this episode with you. Michelle was somebody I just met when she came to record this episode with me and she brought authenticity, vulnerability, and you really get the sense when we start digging into the creative process and the ups and downs and the mental health struggles how authentic she was. And truthfully, I was actually going through a really challenging time when I recorded this episode. I was highly emotional. I was also under the weather. You can probably tell that I was starting to have a cold. I decided to keep the interview time, and I'm so thankful I did because closer to the second half of the episode, we really dug into some stuff um, that I probably wouldn't have been as open about had i not been going through what I was at the time. And we dug into the challenges of a creative process, what it takes to really complete a creative project and what happens when you want to quit and what happens when you're struggling with your mental health and what happens when you're sad and maybe lonely and maybe depressed. And we dig into it all And I'm so, these are, this is why I'm often so happy I get to be able to do this interview podcast because it's like therapy for me because we talk about things that I'm struggling with and you probably are struggling with at the same time. So buckle in, really grab some tea and coffee and Sit and really take this episode in. The audio is a little bit wonky because I think I kept hitting it with my cup of coffee or tea or whatever I had at the time, but bear with it because you really will be missing something if you turn the episode off before you complete to the end. So let's dig in. Um, Michelle was actually introduced to me by Dana, who's another podcast guest. And she said, Michelle is doing this really um, awesome documentary. You should get in contact with her. And, And so here we are. I'm really excited to talk about your documentary. So basically, it's about this woman who grew
1: up in Spain who goes to the region that her biological mother is from. And she runs a marathon in these refugee camps. Okay. And so what I focus on is really about her search for identity. She grew up in a very white-dominated small town in Spain. Okay. And she had never asked questions about her heritage. She had always really? been the odd one out in, like, in school and all these things. Yeah. And so she kind of goes to the marathon blindly and meets people who look like her, who can... Just people who make her feel more at home. Mm -hmm. So the film title is called Running Home.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, so she's she's
1: technically running to her roots and discovering who she is. I love that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to... We're going to talk about the documentary, but I wanted to kind of take that synopsis and... So obviously the goal of the documentary is to dig into um, and inspire people who had an idea of something um, and wanted to make an impact um, mm-hmm. and just went and did it. So wh- how did you come up with the idea of the documentary? And I know you've had some previous experience in uh, your professional life because mm-hmm. you do film production and directing, right? Yeah. 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 So you had that experience, but had you ever done any documentary filmmaking before? What was your background with that?
1: None at all. So this kind of came to me very naturally. I didn't Mm -hmm. seek it out. So I met the protagonist, Inma, through... So she's studying in the U.S., and she was in Canada for four days. Really? Yeah, and we... By, like universe the universe's magic we were both on this um this queer app which um like woman identifying people use like for events community okay friends dating all that so i gave her a tour of hamilton when she was here and we kept in contact and she told me about this marathon and she basically asked me to make a souvenir video for her so it started as hey like if i buy you your flight would you come and just make a souvenir video about this incredible thing that is just super um meaningful to me and then from there we like realized that we needed funding for all this equipment and so we yeah. like started an Indiegogo campaign and it got more people involved and then like as it just kept progressing I wanted to like add layers of like have a, someone to edit the sound or like have someone compose the music and it just like has yeah. kind of built up from there.
0: Uh, okay so this is this, I actually love this this is so good <laughs> so now if you look at what you've created Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like this, like, big, you know, create this documentary. But when you first got started, it was just this, I have this idea, I'm going to make this souvenir video. Um, so, how do you pronounce your name? Inma? Inma. Inma, yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a memory thing. And then it was just one step after another. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of how it went? Like, yeah. walk me through that.
1: So, yeah, I guess it wasn't like too intimidating at first and I think it just everything just happened so naturally like Inma and I got along really well and we kind of just um, fed off of each other's energy and I mm-hmm. had for a long time I was doing like small commercial and digital media work like yeah like one to three minutes long of stuff that just you know, it was like fashion or like beauty okay. tutorials or like there was some journalistic work, but it was nothing like someone was all, always delegating what um, what they need or like what they want from me. And yeah. so like taking this leap into the documentary was just like if it hadn't started that small, it probably would have been incredibly overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so like for me in that mental space, it kind of just It, like, I didn't even, like, I'm looking back at the documentary now and I'm like, wow, this is huge. And so many people are following our journey. But at the time, it was just, let's do this between us two and do the best we can and just share this cool experience.
0: I actually, that's so good. And I'm going to dig into that later because... (laughs) Obviously, my goal with the documentary, uh, my goal with the podcast, is is to really inspire people who have an idea of creating something or doing something. And then I feel like the vast majority of people get overwhelmed with the big picture of what mm-hmm. it could be or what it would take, and then just stop. And it's like that's too much. I don't know how to do it. I don't. I've never created a documentary before. Like all this stuff and yeah. this this thing inside of them this passion of creating a change and whatever it is often just never gets birthed and so I think I always find that piece fascinating is like what differentiates you from somebody else who has an idea and often it's just that like I just did this one step and then it kind of did this next thing so if we were to look at kind of when you started how long ago was that um Like about two years ago. Okay. Yeah. So two years ago, and then when was Inma, and was, so 2019, was it 2017?
1: Yeah, she did the marathon February 2018. Okay. But I did like the pre-interview, and we kind of started planning things out. Yeah, end of 2017. End of 2017. Yeah.
0: So at what point was it like, oh, I'm just going to fly over, take some footage, it'll be like this really cool thing, to we should make a documentary, and we should do this IndieGoGo campaign?
1: Well, so the other funny thing is Mm -hmm. that she asked me like if you think about what she was asking me it's really insane considering we had like <laughs> just met she was like hey fly with me to Africa in this remote refugee camp but is
0: actually yeah what you said
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so we had seen each other like the, the second time we saw each other or like maybe even before that we had continued um texting and we were talking about like, Philosophy philosophy and existentialism And like questions on love So like our conversations had gotten Like really deep And we Understood that we were kind of on the same wavelength Okay So when she asked me to go with her I just like something in me Knew to say yes right away And I'm not a very trusting person Mm. And I just Instantly like felt so safe And trusting of the experience Hmm. And it's like I mean, it wasn't like that the whole way. I think yeah. Inma kind of knew that it would end well more than I did. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, it, it's kind of like two 17-year-olds like getting off and getting married. Like It's kind of insane that I went on this journey with this stranger that I like barely knew. Barely knew.
0: It's interesting you pull that theme out because when I was talking with Dana and she her first trip to the the um um oh what's it called inter like displaced people camp i.e. the refugee camp in jordan she had a similar experience like in that moment it wasn't overly concerning it was like this is what i'm going to do and you yeah. look back on it now it was like that was crazy she's like yeah. i probably should notify the embassy <laughs> that i was like a, leaving turkey to go to jordan right mm-hmm. but in that moment it just seems normal to a certain extent like yeah. i'm gonna fly all the way over to like videotape this this marathon yeah okay so it was close to the end of 2017 and so you felt safe going and creating kind of this this memory video and mm-hmm. then at what point were you like you know what this could be a really incredible story to share And it started shifting to a little bit more of a project and a documentary.
1: I guess I knew, like, I wanted to make the most out of it. Mm -hmm. And so also, like, the place I was in my career, I was very, very unfulfilled creative-wise. Okay. And I kind of felt like I had created this hole and like this hole in the ground of like or this funnel of where and who I should be and what kind of content I was creating Mm -hmm. so it was like a lot of magazines and beauty stuff which is like not my personality at all and I really saw it as an opportunity to like so first off when she asked me I said I will do it at I have full creative control okay. Because I had felt so, like, dry creatively and people were always telling mm-hmm. and felt in a really safe space without the pressure of, like, a brand or sponsorship. Like, so when we did the Indiegogo campaign, like, we needed money. Yeah. But I didn't want to find a sponsor because I was so scared of that pressure and I just didn't want somebody like dictating this story if they didn't understand it and like yeah I just didn't want anyone interfering with how sacred Mm. the story and relationship was so
0: and how long have you been working professionally in the in the like video film industry for
1: when we had started um I had been working professionally for a year or a year and a half. Okay. And I had already like established myself really well as a freelancer and for someone who is new in the industry. Okay. Um which is why I also had a hard time like like so how long it's been like 3 years now that I've been Professional, okay. three to four, and, it, like, just now I'm feeling comfortable and safe enough to say no to clients and, like, pursue what I want to pursue and...
0: Because what had you get into that industry? Like, was it a passion? Was it... What was it that initially got you inspired to, <laughs> like, go into that?
1: I'm still trying to figure that out. Right. <laughs> but... So, my dad had bought a DSLR, okay. like, as soon as they became affordable, and I had started, started doing photo shoots with my friends in high school, like, typical, like, finding abandoned houses, um, not houses, barns, and railroad tracks, and so I, like, kept with photography and then moved into video, and then, like, in my high school, like, I was always very competitive with with men and like because just the way people were talking about video and like media it was as if like there wasn't a space for women and I like okay, yeah and I like what got me into it was my dad pursuing the passion but what kept me going in it was kind of being competitive and wanting to like prove people wrong and like be better
0: oh okay
1: and like
0: did you like what you were doing or was it like this like competitive did you did you enjoy it or
1: i did but like i also found myself in situations where i would um film and tell a story because no one else could and i just like like, just going into video and storytelling not really out of, like, oh, my God, I love this, which I did. Okay. But I think my driving force was more, like, yeah, I wouldn't say, like, necessarily competition, but, like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like if, if you guys can hold a camera, like, why can't I? And it was just, mm. like, it's also kind of the community I grew up in. It was, like, there was a lot of, like, privilege and sexism and I constantly felt like like I just wasn't allowed to be who I was so Mm -hmm. it was kind of like for me holding a camera and like being successful at it and being really good at it was a rebellious act and Mm. it sounds like it almost gave you
0: your voice Mm -hmm. like it was kind of your way of expressing yeah like a piece of who you are
1: that's a good point. I like
0: never thought of it like that. This is why but, I love podcasts. Yeah. Honestly, it's like oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But, yeah. So, so then did you? Because you know, that was high school, and then did you go to university? University for? What did you go to university for?
1: So I went to university for film. Okay. I did one semester. I, well, like, pretty early on, I I hated it. Okay. I, like, just didn't fit in with the people. I didn't, Mm -hmm. like, um, there wasn't enough structure for me, so... Oh,
0: that's interesting. Usually people are the opposite. Like, university was too structured. I wanted to go do my own thing.
1: Well, it was weird. So, it was structured and, like, they gave you so many creative boxes like they wouldn't let you be yourself or express yourself mm-hmm. but then deadlines were so easy going and like there were a ton of stoners in my program and it like oh, interesting so okay. I was just like it just like didn't flow with my ethos like I don't know sometimes you know if you fit or if you don't and I just yeah. don't
0: fit and so, that was after one semester. So you did one yeah. semester. And you are like, I don't fit here.
1: Yeah. Okay. And then I switched to journalism school because it was always between video and writing that I really okay. liked. So then I was like, okay, I'll try the writing side. And yeah. so I did four years of journalism and I still incorporated video in it. Okay. Because it always felt easier and I did really like it. Um. And journalism taught me how to tell a story, like how to interview people, how to relate to people, how to like move mm-hmm. past your own fears, and just how to tell a narrative. So, yeah. like in the end, going to journalism school was way more valuable than going to film school.
0: I believe it because where did you go, Ryerson? Right? Yeah, I went. So I went to school in. Carlton, and the vast majority of my friends were in journalism and the skill sets you learn from journalism still to this day like they use them all the time even if they're not necessarily journalists it's
1: crazy yeah you just like learn more about people and just like we would have to <laughs> like we would spend a six-hour class just like going onto the street and interviewing people randomly and we'd mm-hmm. have to write up a story by the end of that class So it was like, go, 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 move out your comfort zone. And like, yeah, like, and it was like, so terrifying approaching strangers and being rejected because they think you're going to sell something and you're like in Toronto and people are super busy and like, yeah, so, yeah, (laughs) it
0: was interesting. If you were to take a look at your experience and what you learned in journalism school and telling that narrative and really like. Because I think storytelling is probably one of the most powerful ways of connecting with people and having them get, uh, be moved and touched by whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. So if you were to look at the documentary that you're creating and have created, where would you say that journalism, the four years of journalism was really beneficial in creating the documentary?
1: So, journalism taught me that the best way to tell any story is through one good character. And so, so like, this whole documentary ties into the history of the Sahrawi people and the refugees and, like, they've been there for the past 42 years and, like, the, the world has basically forgotten about them and they... Yeah, don't care about them and they're suffering a lot mm. and yeah so journalism taught me to tell a story through one main character and I knew like just Inma's like this incredible storyteller and human and she's like super relatable and here's this incredibly unique story where she grew up in her adopted family which is like generations and generations back of Spain so like okay. she grew up in like a like white community and so this super westernized woman but who has this this history um that she never talked about or or even questioned for 22 years of her mm-hmm. life you know yeah So, and, like, she has been studying in the States, too, so she, like, it just, like, the story appealed to so many different countries, like, um, Americans, Canadians, Spanish, and, like, yeah, like, she had, like, at the time when we were filming, like, the bottom half of her head was shaved, and, like, she had, like, this element that I knew people could relate to, Mm. and that would bridge into the bigger more serious story of the Saharawi people mm-hmm. and the other way that journalism helped me mm-hmm. is that it taught me in interviews to leave space for your interviewee to speak like if they're silent you don't ask a question you kind of wait because mm-hmm. human tendency tendency is to like fill in the dead space with some kind of answer. It's just, like, uncomfortable for people. And I think that created a lot of magical and vulnerable moments in the Mm. film. And I just... Yeah, I let her tell the story and without me trying to... Like, I mean, definitely as a journalist, we, like, tend to kind of navigate the conversation. But yeah I just left her room to breathe and feel safe and comfortable and heard and that's super important when we're telling a story so
0: yeah and if you were to look at what like if you were to look at the change and the impact you want running home to create and have what is that because there's like you've mentioned it there's so many elements really Mm -hmm. that the documentary could and can have. If you were to say the main impact you want the documentary to have, what would that be?
1: So the goal from the beginning was always to get as many people as possible to see it, especially in North America. Because when you talk about the Western Sahara, like so they're occupied by Morocco and everyone i've asked in north america has never heard of this country. i didn't know about it. Yeah, I didn't inma know. didn't know about it either until she saw the country on her adoption papers.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: yeah. And so that was goal number 1, but as i've like continued, so goal number
0: 1 was to educate or
1: not necessarily educate, but introduce people to this um Conflict in this issue. Okay. Because I think to educate someone in like. The film is 33 minutes. That's too short of a time to like. Yeah. Educate people and like. I think a lot of us have learned that people don't really follow facts. They prefer stories. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) So but like. As I kept going and like asking myself. Why I'm doing this and what's the meaning behind it. The more I realized that. For me, it's about identity and, like, finding this string between every single person on Earth, which sounds really corny, but, like, Mm. really the main theme of the film is about belonging and feeling like she doesn't belong anywhere and her Mm. trying to find a home and, like, her trying to figure out her identity. And that's something that, like, everyone dapples with like so many many of us feel alienated and like not understood and like um people are always telling us how to be and what to do and how we should act so like for me it's it's more about like the existential questions of like what does it mean to be a human and mm. yeah and and it comes through through um, like not just her, but you kind of see questions of belonging through like many characters in the film, which I won't expand on because okay. I don't know how to but like <laughs> but like yeah like so in the film I film her um, with her um, adoptive family in Spain okay. I film her in Ohio Mm. training and packing for the trip. And then I film her throughout the whole week of being in the refugee camps. And, like, the scenes are so completely different. Mm. And you can see, like, all these different identities that people have. And, like, yeah. And even in the camps, like, without spoiling too much, there's, like, so... When she arrives at the camps, like, her celebrity, I guess, or, like, you know, it's, like, small-town gossip. Like, Mm. the news of her as, like, I guess the daughter who has returned spreads really quickly. Oh, really? And so you can see in the film, like, different people trying to tell her what it means to be Saharawi and, like, who she should be and, like... So, like, the film is, is really about people seeing themselves in her story, mm. which I think it works, I think.
0: <laughs> Crossing my fingers. <laughs> and that's the thing is, like, when you take a – I think especially in, like, the creative side of things, like, when you take that risk and it's like, I don't know if, like, it end, it's going to end up the way I, like, envision it. And then you just kind of cross your fingers and you're like – I'm really hoping this is going to work. And if it doesn't work, it's going to be a learning experience. Yeah. Right? Um, What would be the... Like, if somebody came up and said, Michelle, the film really acts. Like, what would the biggest um, compliment... And I don't think compliment's the right word. But, like, the biggest thing for you, if somebody came up and said, Michelle, the, the film really whatever. What would it be for you if somebody came up and said what would you, what I, I and mean, I can't even articulate it, but like what would really say like the last two, two and a half years of creating this film was worth it Yeah, you know it yeah. distilled into like somebody coming up and saying something to you yeah. what would it be? Um, Just that they
1: felt something deeply, and that I want them to be confused about their emotions mm. walking away, and I created the ending specifically in that way so that people would be at the same time sad but happy.
0: Oh, and, interesting.
1: Yeah, and just... Yeah. I just... There are some people who have given me feedback and, like, you can just tell by, like, the way they're speaking or their breath that they're, like, thinking about it and contemplating. And they don't really have the words to express what they're feeling, but they're just, like, holy shit. And they just, Mm. like, feel it in their chest. So I, like, the biggest compliment to me would be just if someone just said they felt something. Mm. And that's like really all I can ask and that they're, they're like sitting with it and still thinking about it
0: after they've watched it so. yeah like really questioning and whatever, mm-hmm. whatever provokes in the yeah. film and so for you what would you say is the biggest thing because two years is a long time and not a long time mm-hmm. and and Coming from, like, an idea that wasn't what it's become, which I think all great things, like, all really interesting things are. It's like, I had this idea, and then down the road, it kind of morphed into something else. Um, what, What have you learned in the entire process of creating the documentary? What have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about, like, taking a project that you really had no idea, and you had some experience obviously in filming Mm -hmm. but documentary you had it yeah um what what's the biggest thing you learned about yourself or you learned in the process of that the so i learned
1: a lot um like an insane (laughs) amount
0: and I'm sure you can even <laughs> distill it into like you know a five-minute thing. It's yeah, like, I'll be here all night.
1: <laughs> no, I do have an answer, and I think it's it's something that everyone struggles with, but it it has been more a journey about um, believing in myself, and um, I have learned that I can do this crazy documentary and I can take it step by step and I can ask I can like ask other professionals who are very established to help me with the film Mm. and I've shed a lot, I've had to like forcefully um, if I didn't like the documentary probably wouldn't have been created how it was I've had to shed a lot of Fear around thinking that I'm not good enough or I'm not talented enough or that I'm not worthy to tell the story. Um, When I came back from the refugee camps, I was, like, lost for an entire month. I couldn't even connect with the world around me because it just felt so um, meaningless, like, where I was in my career. And, like... I had never, um, like the family who hosted us and a lot of people there, um, were so loving and kind to us and there was just something in the story and everything. So, um, like I mentioned to you earlier that Inma and I have developed a, um, romantic relationship over Mm. this film and it didn't start that way at all, um. So it's kind of been, like, through the love of this film and my love with her that, like, I've had to, like, let go of parts of my ego and, like, Mm. let go in the process and, like, constantly question my motives and, like, you know, be sure I'm telling it in the right way and, like, not for, like just stay um grounded in what I was doing and I almost quit 3 times because mm-hmm. I thought I
0: just couldn't do it. And can we can we dig into that? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Cuz this really I think is where things are often glossed over. It's like mm-hmm. you know, I created this documentary da 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 but so what would you say is the first time you were like i think i'm just going to quit this entire thing um well the
1: first time was probably when i got back from the refugee camps so it's not necessarily that i wanted to quit but i just was so overwhelmed and i like Didn't understand my emotions. And I, like... I think I had been triggered in multiple ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I just, like, didn't have the emotional intelligence to tackle any of it. And I, like, was sitting on all this footage and feeling extremely guilty that I, like, hadn't tackled an edit yet. And... Mm. So... There was just, like, I was so in my head at that point. And so I
0: took... Um, I and, s- and was it because you were... What what was it that you were overwhelmed? Because I know you said you, there were several things that probably triggered you. What was... like Looking back now on it, because it's been, what, almost a year and a half, mm-hmm. probably? Yeah. What would you say was, was the vast difference between the reality in a refugee camp versus like the life you live like what was that I think it was it boiled
1: down like and without like trying to stereotype any cultures or like yeah yeah I'm like wary of how I I word this but like the difference between like western culture like very like so take Toronto for example Mm -hmm. like everybody is so um focused on themselves typically and like people don't stop and say hi to one another Mm -hmm. um and I felt so isolated in my work um as a freelancer I was always at home and I was also in this transition with my own social circle where I realized like our interests just divided where Mm. they were chasing money and I was chasing love and like like deep passion Mm. and like I like they were talking about like real estate and mortgages all the time and I just Mm. felt so alienated but like this was the world I was used to and that I had grown up in and like in contrast to the refugee camp um, so in Arabic like when like there are three ways to say hi how are you I think there's three (laughs) (laughs) like basically like my experience there was they'd be like hi how are you how are you like hello are you doing okay like they Mm. ask you like four times Mm. and like they're constantly checking up on you and like um not just like me but like in general to everybody and like um there's this culture of like if someone enters your house you have to invite them for dinner Mm -hmm. and people would stay late for tea and like um so in the camps at first it was overwhelming because there were so many people all the time and I'm so used to being alone that like yeah. being with community and people like asking you questions and all these things is just like such a stark contrast. And the other thing being in the camps is like I was always behind the camera and I wasn't really involved in conversation like my whole goal for like seven eight days straight is I was silent behind a camera and I didn't participate in conversation Mm. and that made me feel um more alienated but I was like watching all these relationships and love unfold before me and like When I got home, like, my whole world was just, like, shattered. Like, like, it's hard to explain and put into words, but it's just, like, in everyday interactions, like, it just felt so cold and I had a lot of anxiety and, like, it's like it's so hard to pinpoint exactly mm-hmm. what it was, but I just like knew that I wasn't leading the life that I was supposed to be mm. pursuing and I had to change something. And like, so I um, continued doing client work for, because um, like you have to sustain yourself. Yeah. But like, this documentary film has felt like this lifeline, like, and has just like brought me through so much hardship. Like when I just like was feeling down about myself or I felt disconnected from the world, I would like sit at my computer and edit when I could, and I it just like brought me so much joy. <laughs> mm. But um, so like. I said I was having trouble so we got back um, March early March 2018 Mm -hmm. and I had tried hiring um, people to edit the film because I was having such a hard time okay doing it and I just felt so way too close and vulnerable and I just had like too many fears around like not feeling good enough and it wasn't until January 2019 that I like like we we can get into this a little bit deeper too but Mm -hmm. I like I this editor that I had hired she just wasn't doing it um that I ended up using that money that I was going to pay her I booked myself a flight to Costa Rica and so I could like escape and just sit down every single day and edit Mm. and so like that was the only way I was finally able to edit the film
0: and what was that? so I think this is there's so many good things in here it's like it's so interesting that we're talking about this now because this is what I'm dealing with in my own documentary right? it's like who am I to be creating a documentary about human trafficking right? and it's such a murky topic that like one way or the other, you're going to have people on both sides who aren't going to be happy with how the documentary is created, right? Yeah. And um, and so it's like a daily conversation. It's like, you know, I don't think I'm going to do this. It's like in the, in, it's this back and forth in my head. It's like, I've never created a documentary. I Like, it. that's not true. So I've been part of a documentary creation before, mm-hmm. but not like this, right? And so it's like, who am I to do this? And then I go to, like, well, if it's not me, who else is going to? And then it's just, like, back and forth. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so for you, was it just booking that trip, like, that ticket to Costa Rica and being, like, I'm going to edit? Like, what gave you that freedom to actually sit down and be the person who edited Because I think editing is one of the most crucial pieces in the documentary. Like, yeah. like the person who edits really does tell the story. Yeah. In, like, a powerful way.
1: I can't remember exactly what, like, set me off to book my flight. But I, like, I, like, knew I had to whoop my butt and, like, Mm. leave the country because... (laughs) I thought I was the only one. Okay. (laughs) No. Well, it's because I also have a really hard time saying no to clients. And, like, Mm. if someone would contact me... I'd be like, yeah, I can do that. And then I'd be busy and like couldn't do the documentary. And like I just needed to be somewhere where I could just be alone and like chill and like be free from anxiety too. Like I was by a beach and like it was hot all the time and it was super relaxing and it was like it was just the mental head headspace that I needed to be to do the documentary, like... And I, like, finish editing here, but, mm-hmm. like... It's kind of started steps, up, yeah. as a catalyst. Mm-hmm.
0: This is, this is a slightly off topic, but it, I think... So, is anxiety something that you kind of, like, deal with in your life? Mm-hmm. And so what's that, like, in... Like, for you in creating the documentary, and then any creative process, really, where there's no guarantee... Like, you don't have a guaranteed outcome in anything creativity-wise, essentially. And I... And the reason why I ask this is because I would never have said that I was a person who struggled with anxiety for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think in the last year, year and a half, I've really accepted that I think anxiety... I think because I've taken on a lot more of stuff that really matters to me in my life and, like, really made a lot of shifts in my life. Yeah. Um, and I've dealt with way more anxiety in the last year and a half than I've dealt with for a long time. And I think for me, and this is why I'm asking, for me, I've just kind of come to terms with, like, it's going to be kind of that, like, friend who just is always there. I, I don't resist it anymore. It's just yeah. like, okay. But, like... And it's, and it's like... That's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, sometimes I'm just... Oh, yeah. It's It's been a... And the last, like, month and a half has been bad. Like, I don't want to say bad, but, like, really challenging for me. Um, and so I've just kind of been, like... And it's interesting, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Because it's, like, the last month and a half, I've really like move things like but the podcast is happening the documentary is happening like we have our first shoot day like interview shoot day for the documentary mm-hmm. like next week and so there's way more things that actually matter to me that i've said i want to do for a long time it's happened in the last probably month and a half and my anxiety has been increased significantly in the last month and a half yeah um So this is something that I actually am starting to ask more and more people is like, so if you, if anxiety is something that you kind of deal with in your day to day life, like how do you, like what's your approach to it and also continuing specifically I think in the creative field because there's no guarantee of outcome in a creative field.
1: Yeah. So... I have been dealing with anxiety and depression for a really long time, Mm -hmm. um, since, like, I was a child, and with this documentary, I wasn't able to tell the story until I really looked into myself, and, like, my traumas, and my anxiety, and, like, Figured out what was going on my in my head because if I I if I didn't understand myself like how am I supposed to understand these deep existential questions that I'm trying to answer in my film yeah and so I went through a lot of therapy and I'm still in therapy and like I had. Like a panic attack when I got back from Costa Rica. I had mm. like, like a pretty severe spell of depression this winter. Um, and I guess I don't really have an answer, like, or just like a, like an answer that I can wrap with a bow tie. But like, I just like. Had to work through so much to be able to edit the story properly, and that was like what that basically looked like was therapy like a lot of darkness, and like, um, like I'm in a much better place now, and it's like insane, but like. I've, like, come up with coping mechanisms with anxiety, and I've, um... Yeah, like, there's so many different directions I could go, but it was just...
0: Is there a weight that you feel in and responsibility in telling the story? I mean, there's definitely a responsibility,
1: but I don't feel the weight of it, necessarily. Mm -hmm. Because really I'm telling Inma's story Mm -hmm. and yeah like that hasn't like really I'm trying to think there was at first so like I've been getting a lot of help with um, like through communicating with Inma and just other people in my life like the film talks about Um, themes that I've never had to address as Mm. like a white privileged Canadian person like the film talks about race and then like it talks about the Sahrawi people which I like never wanted to portray um, in a way that would um, exoticize them and Mm. make them um, seem othered or like so, Inma helped me with like, um, cause so she, her master's in like everything she's doing in university, and just naturally she's always curious about these things, mm. but she studies race. Okay. And like, so she helped me point out different things that I wouldn't have been cognizant of, um, because of the way I grew up. And like, we, like, we all have those layers, but I just, Yeah, I was, like, constantly checking with other people, making sure that I was, like, telling things right. I was in communication with um, um, a friend, a Sahrawi friend that I really trust. And I, like, would send him scenes and be like, H- how do you feel about this? Like, um, is it okay um, that this is portrayed this way? Or, like, like anything that I was doubtful of, I would always ask. mm and same, like, with the facts, I would, like, double-check them. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, because kind of follow up on that question is um, there's, a, there's a huge weight I feel in creating a documentary around mm-hmm. human trafficking in Ontario. Yeah. And, and there's also, like... Um. Uh, and it's interesting because I feel people who people who really want to make a difference and like a change in the world I think also feel very deeply and so you kind of have these two extremes of like you feel really deeply and it also affects you really deeply mm-hmm. and so it's interesting because anytime I like go and have an interview with a subject or have a conversation around human trafficking which is like, like a horrific thing mm. Like, I come back, and there's this, like, like deep weight and, like, responsibility, right. I feel. And it's something I've really had to navigate. It's yeah. interesting, and, in like, other interviews I've done, it's come up with people. It's, like, it's an extra layer of... And and majority of the time, it's good. Like, Dana and I had that conversation. And Dana's, mm-hmm. like, honestly, like, people talk about motivation, like, rah, rah, rah. Like, she goes... You know, it, that doesn't carry the day. And what, what carries the day is like the responsibility and weight I feel for the two groups of like the two collective groups of women that mm-hmm. we help. She goes, that's the weight and responsibility that like keeps me going in and like day in and day out. And the reason why I wanted to pull it out was because I feel sometimes um, people and. I think this it's just so beneficial to hear is like the journey to making a difference and like really is not this like motivational like rah rah like I'm like happy and like you know majority of the time mm-hmm. like it really is like digging into like the deepest parts of yourself yeah right
1: totally and to add to that too um it's like one thing wanting to honor someone's story and like you want to honor people's stories and you also don't want to like put yourself above anybody and that's like the awkward and like very tricky part about like being a journalist or being a documentarian like it's so easy to Go into communities and judge them based on our lens and, like, without us realizing. So it's like, how do you do these people justice or, like, um, do the best you can? And, like, for me, it was just constantly, like, always checking myself and asking, like, why I'm doing it. And, like, I think everybody maybe not everybody but for the most part like a lot of people want to make a difference in the world Yeah. but it's hard to go into a community and tell a story like in a very humble and unprivileged way there's more layers to it but like I felt the weight and the heaviness but at the same time it's like it was kind of also like I'm trying to find the right words. <laughs> I know.
0: We really like And this is why I love this cuz this is actually something I dig into quite often. Mm-hmm. Is like the side of the side that people don't talk about. Like this is not this is a side that usually people don't talk about in whatever projects they're working on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And anyways, so
1: so this is, like, kind of related. I don't know if it's, like, the direction you're trying to go in, um, but I think, like, one of the biggest problems with um, Western people trying to make a difference is that, like, we tend to, like, go into communities and judge them and think that we know better. And, Mm. like we can make a difference and it like makes us feel good about ourselves and it may not necessarily actually improve a situation or tell a story properly like so there's just like there's so much ego involved in these projects which you wouldn't think about and that's like a huge dark cloud over a lot of nonprofit organizations and charity where like these people go in and try to make a difference and they're really not making a big difference. They're just making themselves look good. The PR is good. They um it's like sometimes they're making a ton of money off of it and like the communities aren't improving. Mm-hmm. And like at, at the same time, like, I'll never be perfect and I'll never be able to, like, like, just because of the way I grew up, like, my lens is completely different. Like, I might other a community without even realizing. And, like, the good thing about um, being in a relationship with someone who's studying race is that I felt... In a very safe space to explore those themes and like talk about um, my privilege and like without because it's it's so easy to feel um, attacked just reading up reading up on other people who've gone gone through similar experiences and like like the subject that you're reporting on or covering on like look into what they're saying about how they've been covered by media or, mm. like...
0: And I think... I actually love that you brought this up because I feel... You have two, like two sides of it. You have the side of somebody who is like, um, I want to make a difference, and yet I... I don't know enough or I am not part of that community and they don't, they don't end up doing anything. They're just like, you know, I just, I feel like I'm going to make it worse or like, who am I? And all that stuff. So you have that side. Mm -hmm. And then you have the other side who I think unintentionally is just unaware of the ego they bring into things. Totally. And, And it's this is a conversation I have often because I feel, and I tell people often, it's like you know whatever project you want to go, you want to do, go do, and have enough humility that when you mess up or you misrepresent somebody, have enough humility to be like, you know what, I messed that up, right? Yeah. And I think if you go into a project or anything with that everything can be adjusted but if you if you go into a project especially if you want to make a difference i think so many people do but i think you get so close to it and so attached to like what you're doing that it's hard to have the humility to be like you know what you're right i messed up i even in this documentary like with the human trafficking documentary somebody asked me recently well are you gonna have this person's voice in the documentary and i was like you're right. I haven't even thought about that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I, I had to like pause for a moment because I had all my reasons. Like, I, I could tell you why. Yeah. Like, and then I kind of had to pause, and then I was I had to like have an ego check and be like, "You're right." Like, totally. Let me adjust and see how we can incorporate like another voice into the documentary that like sheds that light. Mm-hmm. But it's like I think really balancing both sides because either you like stop and you don't do anything because it's like i'm afraid i'm gonna make it worse i'm you know whatever it is and i feel like a lot of people get stopped at that um or if they do something then you get really attached to it and then your ego is just like like i'm investing all this time and money into it yeah. like i can't be wrong you yeah. know what i mean yeah
1: and chances are like you're you're always gonna miss at
0: least like one thing yeah Yeah. 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 And and I think really having that humility is probably so crucial in in raising awareness and um, anything in storytelling. Because there's always going to be another side to the story that just wasn't told. Mm -hmm. And that's something I actually had to come to terms with. And that's why I actually didn't do the documentary for a while. Because I had the idea... And then I, I didn't do anything with it for a while. Because I was like, one way or the other, this documentary, people are going to disagree with me. Just, it's, that's just the, the basis of the documentary is just going to be controversial. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, I don't want that. I don't want people attacking me. I don't want people to be like, well, clearly she's an idiot because that's why I said. Right? So yeah. I was just like, that's just too much. Like, I just can't. Right? Yeah. And then, it took a while. It was probably like a year. And finally I was like, you know what? One way or the other, there's going to be something that's missed. And there's going to be somebody who disagrees with me about this documentary.
1: Yeah.
0: But if, like, the documentary can raise awareness and really create a difference and have people aware of what human trafficking in Ontario looks like, I'm going to just consistently... Like, daily, be like, you know I It's okay that people disagree with me. Yeah. But that took a year of, like, me being aware of that.
1: Yeah. And that's why these, like... People don't realize this is why creative projects take so long. Because there's so much, like... It's such a mental battle. And you're, like, battling yourself as a creator, too, as you're doing it. So you, like, need space in between working to, like, think and contemplate and, like just process and you have to work on yourself in order to work on whatever project you're doing like it's not a nine to five robotic process
0: yeah and so if you were because you said you had a really was it right after Costa Rica you had a really dark period Mm -hmm. and so if you were to go back like now it's been almost like what five months when did you go to Costa Rica in January. Okay, so four or five months. Yeah. How long were you in Costa Rica for? Three weeks. Okay. Yeah. So if you were now where you are, kind of you've had like four months of like space. Mhm. What would you tell Michelle then? Like who's in that in that like dark space?
1: I would tell her to not be afraid of being with herself. It's easy to be alone and do activities and, like, I mean, for some people it's not easy, but it's a whole different story. Like, so the reason I was in a dark period was because I felt so lonely and I realized super ironically that the reason I felt so lonely is because I was constantly thinking about other people and I was never actually alone with my thoughts and myself so I like never was actually alone and like until I got comfortable with like and it's like it's still a huge process like I still have a lot of anxiety um like especially before going to bed Mm. (laughs) but just being with myself and talking to myself and like checking in with myself like a best friend would um has made a whole difference and it has reduced my anxiety a lot like in like my mind used to spin a lot and now like all I have to say is literally one sentence say Michelle it's just you Mm. and then I calm down and I'm really? like, yeah, and then I'm like, oh, my God, I love this space with you, Michelle. I'm <laughs> like, I'm so glad you're here with me today. Like, <laughs> but like, I feel like I feel so, way less lonely now, like, because as a freelancer and like I'm basically doing the film by myself, like I spend a lot of time alone.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm in I'm spending quality time with myself now, which like like I'm not actually alone it's like I'm I'm with myself it's like weird to it's, it's hard to explain, explain but and I know what you're talking yeah. about yeah yeah I'm like I'm constantly talking to myself
0: I oh, haven't <laughs> like, gotten to that point yet yeah I mean not out loud <laughs> but like no no <laughs> actually that's not true if so yeah. I had I talked to myself quite often it's like yeah. and I've actually started to voice my like feelings and my emotions Mm -hmm. which is something I really like pushed down before yeah and um and like in the last couple of months I I was just like okay you know today I feel sad and that's okay totally and it's funny as soon as I say that like as soon as I acknowledge that feeling and I'm okay with that it like kind of goes into the background but when I resist it like because I'm usually upbeat peppy type of person you wouldn't know based on how this podcast has gone but I'm a like usually if you were to meet me I'm a very like upbeat like happy and I was just meeting with another friend earlier this week who's a filmmaker as well and creative and um and I was just saying like the last two months for me I, like the overwhelming feeling has been sadness. And if I were to look at what two months ago, I would like resist it. It was yeah. just like, I'm a happy person. Why am I sad? Like there should be no reason. Yeah. You're a good life. Like all this stuff. And things were really moving, right? Yeah. And I was just like, there's no reason. I should not be sad. And then as the last two months has progressed, I've just accepted it kind of like another friend like I have a lot of friends now like, yeah <laughs> I'm sadness as a friend I'm sad as a friend kind of as a friend and it's just like okay I'm feeling sad today and yeah. that's okay but it's something I resisted for a long time
1: yeah and it makes sense because we're taught to like not feel or like if we're sad something's wrong or we have to change something or maybe we have the wrong attitude like this whole like just change your attitude and positive psychology thing is, like, such bullshit. Like, nice. you need to embrace your dark emotions and sit with them and, like, say it's okay, like you were saying. And, like... Yeah. Yeah. Like, we have to embrace all of it. Like, if we spend a whole year depressed, then we spend a whole year depressed. Like, it's okay. Like,
0: I hope not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That would yeah. really be, <laughs> that would really be a challenge. And I, yeah. and I think especially like as a creative person, um, really getting in tune with those emotions and having it on all spectrums. Cause you can't, you can't create something that has all spectrum of emotion if you only allow yourself to express, yeah. you know, these four emotions of like yeah. happiness, sadness, like happiness, anger, Whatever it is. Yeah. But I think specifically, like, for a creative person, really digging in and, like, being okay. And it's funny because you, like, hear all those stories of, like, the writers and, you know, who typically have far more of those emotional, you know, stories. Um, and I think it's easy to talk about once you've come through it. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was real. it was, like – like, I don't want to wake up sad every day. Like and I don't think you have to, but the last couple months was, has been a real a real thing for me. Um and I think that's just part of the creative process. Yeah. Like in anything you do.
1: And it's really hard to open up about it when you're in it. Because yeah.
0: Because
1: when you're so vulnerable, like you don't feel safe anywhere and like if you open up to the wrong person, it just feels like you've been betrayed or like like a piece of you like gets stolen from you somehow and I honestly I wonder how many people in the the GTA or around us have gone through like an episode of severe depression this winter because I've I've spoken to so many people who felt the same way and this winter was really bad. Really? Yeah. Like, the weather, I mean, was really bad that I think I think it affected so many people, but, like, not, not very many people talk about it to one another. Yeah. And it's hard, too, because, like, I don't know about you, but when I'm super depressed or anxious, I just, like, can't talk. I'll be, like, if someone tries to have a conversation with me, I'll kind of just, like, nod and be like, yeah... And they're like expecting an answer, and I'll be like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Like, I just like, yeah. I like can't compute and like, yeah. Like, just even be present in the world. So, like, yeah. Yeah.
0: And it was interesting because I've really done a lot of work in the last two years on vulnerability. And so it's been a huge progression for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would say, like, I'm far more comfortable expressing emotion and tears than, like, All that than I was two years ago, but even this week, like the friend I was talking with, who's the filmmaker, like she and I have been like she's one of my best friends. I've known her probably almost almost ten years now, right? Mm -hmm. And it took everything for me to like in that conversation actually say what was going on. I was just like. My kind of the typical, like, happy-go-lucky, like, oh, things are good, like, blah, 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 Yeah. And then I remember just pausing and being like, if I can't express this to this one friend who knows what I'm going through, because she's also a fellow creative and yeah. also struggles with whatever she is, like, I need to express it. Yeah. And it's okay. But it, yeah. took, it took, like, I was at her house for a while because we were watching the and Brown special. <laughs> and it took me, like, three or four hours to finally, like, actually say what was going on. And that's somebody who, I, who I'm who extremely close with. Right? Yeah. So I can't imagine for people who don't have that. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I'm
1: just so tired of lying to people about how I feel and, like, putting on this mask i like if you like if you're not okay with me being depressed and talking about some like world issue that is very um, present in my mind at the moment like i just we just can't be
0: friends <laughs> like, like hi my name is Michelle are you okay with uh, <laughs> talking about significant world issues yeah. and um, Mental health <laughs> Yeah. I think this is I actually this is this, this is not the podcast I was thinking of and it's so but it's so much better because um I think the creative process like we dug into a lot of stuff around the creative process that I don't think is talked about often. You know, things often get glitz and glamorized, both in the creative process and and then i think for people who do want to make a change in the world like i think yeah. you often have this like glitzy exterior yeah but i i really think this what we talked about is like what people go through like this is what actually people go through totally yeah
1: and like if i'm like telling the story of the documentary more often i like want people to know that I almost quit three times and that I, like, cry, like, almost every day. Mm. Like, yeah, and that I've, like, had moments of huge self-doubt. And then I've also had moments of, like, patting myself on the back and being yeah. like, yeah, Michelle, like, you did this. <laughs> like, I don't know. We, like, alienate each other by pretending, like, we're these perfect porcelain figures who just have it all and we're mentally secure and we we work out every morning yeah. they, like <laughs> eat healthy, healthy. yeah like it's,
0: it's such a
1: it's such <laughs> a bullshit line like this standard that we have in North America is ridiculous
0: <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs>
0: that's all I have to say about that <laughs> oh my goodness um, okay, so to close, so to wrap things up, if you, if someone were to come up to you and be like, Okay, Michelle, so I have this idea, I really want to create a documentary about this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What are the like two or three things you would want them to know from everything you've experienced?
1: Um, well. It's, it would more so be like asking them questions. They need to know exactly why they're doing the film. Mm. And the why will drive the story and will keep their head above water and will um, motivate them. And the why usually deeps um, delves d- down into something. Pretty personal and like you could argue selfish, but like I made this documentary. Like what it really boils down to is my own insecurities about belonging. It is wanting to um, shed light on the on the issues and the um, Sahrawi people, but and then also like um, in my story and like her questions of belonging and wanting people to. Relate to that, but really, what it boils down to is me wanting to understand what a home is because I don't know what a home is and Mm -hmm. I feel alienated all the time. I don't feel like I belong in a lot of spaces like, why, who, what, and like, so it's like, it's, I'm really like, I guess at the end of the day, I'm fulfilling this film for myself. Mm. Um, And I think. Once you figure that out, like, if you keep following that, like, the piece will be amazing. And it'll be so honest and so close to your truth that it'll be, like, people will see that.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I love that.
0: That's so great. Uh, is there anything else you would tell somebody if they came up to you? Um... No, I
1: think I'll leave it at that.
0: <laughs> well, it was so beautifully yeah. said, so I don't think you could top it.
1: I mean, everything else, like, for the most part, you can Google, but, like, it's just constantly asking yourself questions. and Yeah. Yeah.
0: That really is the work. It is like, mm-hmm. I don't... <laughs> we could go on a tangent here. Um, have you ever read or listened to Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic? Um I have started
1: it. I have not finished. So I've been listening
0: to it on Audible.
1: Yeah.
0: And I haven't gotten all the way through. But the thing that stayed with me is she talks about like ideas mm-hmm. as kind of like real life, like human being type things that will leave you if you don't take action on them. Yeah. It's a little interesting. And slash, my, I told my one friend this. She's like, that's woo woo. And I was like, <laughs> I don't care. It makes sense to me. Um, yeah. But I think. Um, Where was I going with this? I think um, there's so many people who have ideas in them that really, like, are there, like, it's theirs to to take action on and create. And it's not, like, a lack of, it's not experience or money or skill set or whatever. Like, all of those are secondary issues that can be resolved and solved. Yeah. But it's really that inner work in yourself. Yeah. That you really need to go, like, to work on and, like, really take on, you know? Whatever idea that you want to do, you can go do. Like, it's not that you don't have money or you don't have a skill set or whatever it is. like, that fate, like, that whatever limiting belief you have around whatever it is. I think that's huge. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we are our own worst enemies and (laughs) obstacles. I mean, like... It also—I mean, of course—it also depends, like what level of privilege you're coming from, like, like how many obstacles you have in front of you. The biggest obstacle is probably yourself, which sounds super cliche. But it does sound cliche, but yeah. it's, but like
0: when you're actually in the arena doing the work, yeah, like that's the truest statement. Yeah. Like when you're not in the arena, not doing the work, it's like, oh, that's so cliche. Like I want like a like a one two three on how to do this. <laughs> but like yeah. when you're actually in the arena, like you know whatever it is, you're like, it's true, really. Like that, yeah, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Um, is there anything I haven't asked you? Anything you want to say that I haven't asked you? Um. No, I guess I would
1: just tell your listeners to check out the film. Yeah, when's it coming home? out? Um, well, I'm applying to film festivals now. Okay. The first deadlines are coming up in, like, ten days. So, oh, wow. Yeah. When are you getting back
0: all the, like, final?
1: Um. So, I will know whether I've been accepted, so North American ones, by, like, um late August okay. early September in Europe um and other countries it's it'll be closer to like I don't know they're like a, one season okay after North America and so
0: um if people want to find you cause this is when, um before the documentary gets released where's the best place for people to find you so
1: our website is www.runninghome.com okay um, RunningHomeDoc.com. Okay. And um, our Instagram and Facebook are the same thing. RunningHomeDoc. And okay. Perfect. So like whatever.
0: And those like, get updated pretty frequently.
1: Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, super updated.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And I always like to like finish um, by acknowledging like the who you like who I'm talking with as a person. Like it really, I really acknowledge you for. Um I think the amount of vulnerability in this podcast like is not something I was expecting. yeah, yeah and um and this is for me why I want the podcasts is because like this this is the reality and this is like boots on the ground like yeah, you know if you're gonna go do anything that's no cer- not certain like, Anxiety and panic attacks are, you know, probably most likely <laughs> going to happen. Yeah. And so I really acknowledge you for like, like showing up without your ego. Thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you're very welcome. And thank you. I'm excited to watch the documentary. And that's it, folks. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Please share below on our any of the social media channels what you got what you learned, what really inspired you, or what spoke to your heart. So until next time, go and have a beautiful day.